Welcome to Solutions Cast, a CFC podcast that highlights cooperative network projects and leaders' stories, as well as economic and energy industry insights. I'm your host, Brian Sloboda. Electrification is getting a lot of headlines. Some states and cities are moving to ban gas appliances and new construction in favor of electric. For most people, electrification means taking devices like hot water heaters, cooktops, cars, and even lawnmowers that run on fuels like natural gas, propane, fuel oil, and gasoline, and swapping them out for appliances and devices that run on clean, quiet, efficient electricity. Sounds like a no-brainer, but not everyone agrees that electrification is always a good thing, and convincing people to make the switch is easier said than done. Joining me today to chat about electrification are Blake Cleaving, Manager of Member Solutions, and Ryan Henderson, Senior Manager, Emerging Energy Resources from Hoosier Energy. Hoosier Energy is a G&T with 18 member co-ops serving more than 760,000 end-use members. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for having us. Now, Blake, there are a lot of headlines promoting the benefits of electrification, but not everyone agrees on what that word means. It means something different to everyone. What does it mean to you and the folks at Hoosier? Thank you, Brian. You know, one of the things that we really look at now more than ever is the difference between electrification and what we identify as beneficial electrification. With our current grid conditions and and the load growth that we're seeing in our service territories, the word beneficial is now more essential than ever. When we're exploring pilots, projects, and education to member co-ops and member consumers, For years, we've been a huge supporter of NRECA and the initial beneficial electrification research they created, and then now into the independent nonprofit organization, the Beneficial Electrification League, as a sponsor of that organization. We actually use their terminology when we promote and educate our members on end-use technologies that are electric. You know, the four kind of pillars that they say, as long as you meet these and not, you know, adversely affect the others is really how we promote it. You save consumers money over time. Secondly, you benefit the environment and reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Third, you improve product quality, consumer quality of life. And then four, you foster a more robust and resilient grid. And I think as you look at each one of the sections that you mentioned, you know, you have utilities who are focused on safe, affordable, clean power, reliability coming forward here in the last few years as a, as a primary driver. And then you have end consumers that are looking for saving money, improving the quality of life, whether that's through an EV or a, an emissionless electric outdoor power equipment. All those kind of fit different levels, but that's where we stand currently on electrification and really focusing on that beneficial aspect. So, Blake, what have you been doing uh, in the state of Indiana to educate folks about this? Because everything you say, saving money, benefiting the environment, increased quality of life, better grid, sounds awesome. You know, sign me up. But what have you been doing and who have you been working with within the state of Indiana to educate folks, especially how are you educating the state's policymakers? Great example. You know, we, we go back a few years. Um, 2019 doesn't seem that far away, but it's already four years ago. We launched a Electrify Indiana event 2019. It was hosted at our headquarters in Bloomington, Indiana. And we brought in, uh, you know, co-op directors, co-op staff. It was really uh, heavily attended by Hoosier Energy um, stakeholders, 
But we had legislators, we had regulatory commissioners, we had other state utility leaders come to headquarters and really talk about electrification from the start, what, laying the groundwork for the years to come. You fast forward to 2022, we dove headfirst into a version two or our second conference in the state of Indiana, Electrify Indiana 2022, where we moved it to the Westin downtown Indianapolis and we brought in utilities from across the different areas. We had Wabash Valley Power Alliance as a co-host. We engaged our Indiana statewide Indian electric cooperatives. We also had participants and interest from Duke Energy, AES Indiana, Centerpoint, NIPSCO, bringing in leaders that also portrayed what was actually happening at the state level. This was falling right in line with federal funding through the infrastructure bill and other money coming out from the federal and state grants and incentives. So the content really lined up, you know, electric vehicles, renewable energies, and how DERs are affecting the grid, battery storage, electric school buses, off-peak strategies. One of the really neat things we had, he wasn't able to be there in person, but Senator Young uh, had a video during lunch that was presented on, you know, the importance of not only load growth in the state, but how do we manage that with a reliable and affordable grid. These are all different ways that we've been kind of engaging our co-ops, as well as the state. You know, there was 270 attendees, 33 sponsors, and 23 exhibitors to that event. And that was specifically to the state of Indiana. On the other side, we've also been trying to learn as much as we can as a generation and transmission co-op. This past May, we actually co-hosted another event in Indianapolis with Wabash Valley Power Alliance. And that brought in over 60 attendees from 25 different GNTs from across the country to learn about DERs and electrification from different areas, right? DERs aren't just electrification, but it's distributed generation, renewables, all these different pieces. How are generation and transmission co-ops managing programs and our engineering resources to fit this? So Hoosiers partnered with a lot of different cooperatives along the way. And so it's been a really collaborative and engaging fun process as you had throughout this last few years. So you're putting a lot of time and resources in, into building the coalitions, educating people, doing this, this fundamental blocking and tackling. At the end of the day, you have to get your hands dirty. You have to have some technology pilots out there to prove to people that what you're advising them to do is actually going to work. It's actually going to benefit them. So how do you go about finding the pilots, creating the pilots, and, and running the pilots to prove that electrification will benefit the people in Indiana? Finding the pilots is it's a lot of research, staying in touch, having a pretty robust network of individuals throughout the country uh, who you do discuss things with, technologies that they're looking at. Also, just keeping up with groups who are looking at what is the grid of the future. A lot of those programs uh, we do see start on the East or the West Coast. It's not to say any of the pilots aren't original ideas, but it's a lot easier if you can start from a learning place from others. But we have learned that the lessons on the East and the West Coast do not necessarily transfer to Southern Indiana and Illinois. So there is reason to pilot them within our service territory, within our marketplace. So on the pilots, you know, you said they sometimes don't translate from the East and West Coast because demographics matter, consumers matter. What are some of the more successful pilots that you've worked with? What are the technologies that you see really resonating with the Midwest? 
I would say the most successful pilots that we have learned over the last few years, or at least our team have, have learned over the last few years, have involved being brand agnostic or bring your own device and incentive based. Uh, a very, very successful pilot that we have just concluded and passed the recommendation on to Blake's group. And he's, he's going to make a recommendation from there on what type of program this becomes. The result was we do not want to do what was in the pilot. Uh, the result was what some people would have defined as failure. Uh, we, we do not want to hand out electric vehicle chargers. It was wildly successful over three years, starting a couple of days before the, the COVID shutdown in March 2020. We were able to get over 200 or approximately 200 electric vehicle level two chargers in member consumers' hands and get a good data set of what type of usage they utilize when they charge, effective time of use rates and other things of that nature. But we, we definitely learned that we do not want to be necessarily in the handing out end device type of business because that does create some risk that the utility does not have any control over. So I've worked in pilots before and, and the number one question that I get generally from distribution co-op staff is, can you guarantee that this will work? I, I don't want to go to my CEO. I don't want to go to my board and say, oopsie, I failed. It's going to be embarrassing in front of the end use member. How do you deal with failure? How do you get folks over that hump of fear of failure? Because when I coach baseball and basketball, you learn when you fail. I agree with you 100%. Uh, failure is, is one of the best learning opportunities. And it is a challenge. Uh, coming from the project world previously, failure was not an option. Uh, you, you needed to execute and you needed to execute on time and on budget. We do look at pilots through the same lens of we need to execute, we need to stay on budget, we need to stay on time. However, the, the set of questions that we're often trying to answer is clearly defined up front is more data. We, we are looking for data to drive future programs. One of the things that I think has been most beneficial within the Hoosier Energy setup has been we've, we've had emerging technology committees, which were made up of member managers or member CEOs. And they're heavily involved in the selection of pilots, the vetting of the pilots, and then bringing them forward in those managers meetings or board meetings so that there's a clear understanding and everybody understands that this is, this is for a fixed duration. It is mostly to gather data and it is to help us determine the directions that we're going to take in the future as the technology gets, becomes more mature. Um, we define failure more or less is not coming away with the data than it is whether or not a technology or a methodology does not uh, shake out the way we thought it may. So you, you take a look at the data and, and you have a pilot that, that looks like it can be pretty successful and the ball then goes over to Blake. Blake, how do you translate a pilot into a program? You know, once the pilot concludes, we really look at it in a kind of a grassroots uh, scenario. So we typically take pilot information or program pre-program information, and we run it through several different cooperative committees. You know, we have what we call the DER, Distributed Energy Resource Strategy Committee, that is made up of six or so distribution co-op staff, as well as six Hoosier Energy staff from various subject matter experts, forecasting, engineering, across the board. We also have what we call the Demand Side Management Overhaul Committee, and that committee really looks at yearly 
how do we design a program that one stays relevant to our market potential study that we complete every so often? Um, are we capturing the right incentives? Are we capturing the right consumer base um, with these types of programs? Are we addressing low income concerns? Inflation Reduction Act money that's coming out? Are we oversubsidizing, undersubsidizing on rebates? And so these committees meet periodically. I know the Standing Committee on DERs has monthly meetings, and we really look at the data, the budget behind the data, and then what does the adoption rate come post-program? So that these decisions aren't made top-down from the GNT and pushing money into the the co-ops because your programs are only going to be as successful if you have the cooperative, the distribution system buy-in. And so they help not only design the parameters, the terms and conditions, those data points we receive from the pilot, but they also help design the marketing material. And what are the different areas they're going to push out into? Was it a contractor? Is it a consumer program? And so this really does kind of bring in that full scope of what it means to be a co-op, right? The cooperation among co-ops, we're not non-competitive. Um, so for a programming perspective, we have a lot of in-house resources. We also have some um, consultants that we use along the way to make sure that our numbers are fitting industry averages, avoided cost, all of those different pieces um, in our industry. So yes, it's, a, it's an interesting transition. We typically will roll programs coming out in the fall. We're right in the midst of that right now. We're going through budgeting process as well as approvals on new programs for 2024, typically occurs in August. And then budgets are approved later in the fall. And then we usually start programs, whether they are revisions or pilot to program additions in January of the following year. Um, two, two examples that were easy pro pilots that we had was an electric outdoor power equipment incentive. It was purely a $50 per device, right? Uh, if you had a lawnmower, hedge trimmer, weed eater, they were electric battery or corded. That was a pilot for three years and we've seen great success in that. So that full is moving full program in 2024 after the recommendations were submitted. So exciting news, a lot of moving things there as you go from pilot to program. So Ryan and Blake, you've talked about a lot of the things that that's going on, a lot of uh, data analysis, understanding of federal and state regulatory, understanding your member demographics, understanding marketing. What advice would you have for co-op leaders as they're looking at the workforce of the future and as folks retire? What skill sets will co-op staff need to have? if they want to have an electrification program? We've seen a transition. We've actually, you know, you go back a few years and we saw a big move to communicators and and cooperatives and and putting an emphasis on communication, social media, advertising, telling the cooperative story. NRECA had the Lexicon Project come out a couple of years ago, and I think that kind of prompted that transition. And now I I think we're starting to see that again in this Uh, move from what used to be a legacy energy advisor position into more of an emerging tech position. Several of our co-ops have kind of made that jump. And it's going to be key that you have staff who are willing to learn, as Ryan put it, willing to pilot, willing to test things and fail um, because the industry is changing so quickly, right? When we launch a pilot, you've got to be strategic about the timing and the money available, right? There's going to be a ton of federal funding coming out here in the next year around the IRA and, and different technologies that are going to be hitting our distribution systems quick. And so 
I think you're looking for someone who is a quick learner, willing to kind of shift in an industry that didn't shift a whole lot for the last 50, 60 years, right? It's moving very quickly now. So that's been kind of my recommendation. We also just launched a program uh, where we went through the NRECA certified key account executive training. We offered that to our co-ops and we had 28 co-op staff from 16 of the 18 co-ops go through it. I think understanding the commercial side of electrification, we need to start thinking about building that relationship with key accounts as they look at fleet electrification, they look at battery storage. There's going to be a lot of movement in that CNI space that distribution co-ops can lean on their GNT for technical assistance. But from a relationship perspective, I think that's going to be very key for them as well. Hoosier Energy has always been a leader uh, in the co-op family when it comes to demand response. And all of these new electric technologies provide additional opportunity for expanding those traditional low control programs. There's a lot written these days about virtual power plants. Ryan, what's Hoosier's approach to the virtual power plant concept? Uh, we've been very, very active in the virtual power plant concept. Ties hand in hand with the FERC 2222 legislation and, and, and how the ISOs are, are going to deal with that. I think early on, what, what we are seeing is, is the technology is there. The technology is there to aggregate these resources and have them respond. And whether it be from a capacity standpoint, uh, reduce load, or whether it be from an energy standpoint, put energy back on the grid. I think one of the biggest challenges is it comes in the how is it going to work? It's, it's extremely complex. Coming from a generation world previously, uh, I was at one large plant that supplied many, many, many consumers. Everything was from the power plant out to the consumers, and you knew clearly from lines of delineation who was responsible for both safety and reliability of the energy from generation through delivery. The virtual power plant model is almost flipping that on its head where you could have as few as maybe 50 customers to thousands of customers who are coming together, utilizing a resource that may be one or two KW up to multiple KWs and pushing them backwards to what essentially is a single customer or single price point. The questions around accountability for both safety and reliability and who is accountable for what in those areas, I think Hoosier, definitely myself, sees as the biggest challenge to virtual power plants. The concept, I believe, technologically works really, really well. It's the, <laughs> the, the lines of delineation of who is accountable for what that is the challenge. Things are getting more challenging, more complicated. Do you guys think at the end of the day, you can pull this off, electrify folks' homes and businesses, save them money, have these benefits while maintaining grid reliability? Do you think you can pull it off? For co-ops, we've been providing safe, affordable electricity for over 80 years. And this is just a challenge that the industry is facing now. You know, Back in the 70s, it was generation. It was building generation to meet load. And this is just a new way of looking at it, right? We've got to be strategic in our partnerships, strategic in our collaboration among each other. And we can learn from our GNTs and our distribution co-ops from across the country on what works and what doesn't. That's, that's one of the beautiful parts about cooperatives is when you go to a conference or you go to an event, you know, CFC's forum or you go to an NRACA event, everyone's willing to share and learn. And I think that's going to be one of the key pieces along the way 
for us to tackle this electrification and grid reliability aspect. And to dovetail into what Blake said there, it's safety and reliability, even from, from the emerging tech standpoint. Uh, we talked a little bit about failure earlier, but safety and reliability are non-negotiable. Um, that is, that's an area where we are unwilling to fail, whether it be on a pilot basis or a day-to-day -day basis. I have a lot of confidence or the ultimate confidence in our ability to, to get there in the future. And I think having people dedicated to looking at those, figuring out the challenges and ensuring that when this technology is rolled out into a service territory, that above all else, it will be a safe and reliable technology for everyone. So Blake and Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today. I think this has been a great conversation, really highlighting all of the work that you're doing with your technology pilots, with your program development. But at the end of the day, you all are focused on being member-centric and focused on safe, affordable, and reliable electricity. And I think electrification is a topic that's going to grow in importance over time. Be sure to subscribe to CFC Solutions Cast on your favorite podcast app for more episodes and to receive the latest episodes directly to your mobile device. And check out www.nrucfc.coop forward slash solutions for more cooperative news. 